Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Gabriel Marcotti. Thank you for joining us. With me in the studio today... It's Gary Jacob making his seasonal debut. I believe your first appearance in about 10 years, right? This is correct, yeah. You, you finally paid up. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> also with me, coming in all the way from the lovely hamlet of Barry St. Edmunds, it's James Scowcroft, the second most famous footballer from Barry St. Edmunds. After who? After Gary Stevens. Oh, right. Come on now. Gary Stevens played in Mexico 86. I did not give it to him. There you go. You get Amit Katwala, who's going to be joining us later. Uh, he watched the David Rocastle, Ian Wright documentary on BT Sport. We'll be getting his thoughts on that. But we start at the Emirates. Gary, it finished 2-2. We saw goals. We saw moments of skill. This is just from a neutral's perspective, and I know you're a neutral here. Um, this is a really bad game, wasn't it? For neutral, the first half was entertaining. The second half went very flat, and but there were lots of missed passes, poor defences, and you could see why neither team has actually got are, are going to win the title or, or what, how far they are behind. Right. I'm going to give Arsenal a slight pass on this one because the turmoil of the past couple of months, the fear of losing, blah blah blah. But City. I don't I don't understand it. You know, I, I get accused of being too much of a pep cheerleader. But then I see a game like this and the, the strange thing is that they never went for the juggler apart from that two minute spell after Arsenal equalised in the first half. Second half they never ever went for Arsenal's throats. It's going help me with this though. Uh, you you've got an exceptional manager. They know that Chelsea lost the the day before, so they have a chance to, you know, close the gap. Why was it all so bad? Why was it all so messy? Uh, I mean, is it the international break? Is, there, is that kind of a lame excuse or or what? You must have been in that situation. Yeah, I just think you, you get to this time in the season and it's it's not about performances. It's all about results, you know. And, and the, the good, good teams, you go back to Manchester United and Ferguson, could grind out a 1-0, a scruffy, you know, let's just be really, really tight. We'll keep a clean sheet. We'll get a goal because we've got enough players on the pitch to score a goal. We'll get back inside. We'll get on the bus. Thanks very much. On to the net. And that's all it's about, Gab, when it gets to this this time of year. It's all about points. Yeah, but not with Pep, though. Because but, we've seen yeah, it before. Exactly. And this he's been criticised point. specifically for that. Well, this is my point. I think if he's going to really sort of kick on at Man City, and, and he's going to, I think this season's been a, a learning curve for him. I think he's he's probably learned a lot about the Premier League and Europe being at Man City. He's got to change the way he approaches some games, and certainly away from home. You go to Arsenal. Arsenal are on the ropes at the moment. You know, confidence is shot. The manager's under a lot of pressure. For me, they almost gave them the game. Yeah. Is there a broader message here about? Pep, or does he not seem bothered? Is he giving up on the season? Does, is he so, is he so confident? Because I'm sorry, you've got the table right there. Should he be super confident about finishing top four? Fourth at the moment, 58 points. Manchester United are 53, but with a game in hand. 
if United win that game in hand, they'll go two points behind them. Um, Arsenal have a game in hand as well, and they'll go right. up to to fifty four points. So it's so so sorry, it is nip, nip and tuck still. United presumably play this week, and because they're not playing at home, they might actually win that game. So the reality is, if if City lose at Stamford Bridge on Wednesday, and United win their game in hand, City are out of the top four, right? Yeah, that's right. United have Everton I mean, I, at home. This on is Tuesday really night. bad, right? I, I don't. Well, some expert predicted that Man City wouldn't finish in the top four early on. Do you know this, Gary? You, James? Not me. No, no that was the me, only actually. expert in world football that predicted this. That would be one of the best predictions ever. Yeah, I've gone back and forth on it. <laughs> to be fair, but so what's your view now? Well, th- this is what gets me. Is okay, so I can see all the all the silly things that that he's done that didn't make sense, right? And then that for which he regrets. And there's a learning curve, and people make mistakes. And you know, he believes Kolarov could be his other center half, and and Sanya and Klishi don't upgrade those guys, and sign Gundogan when you know he's going to get hurt, and company, and, and the the Bravo mess, all this stuff, right? But then it worked, and I said, okay, Pep is different. I, there has to be a paradigm shift, right, when judging him, and. For a while, it worked, and I jumped back on the bandwagon. I said, look, you know, I, I should have given him more of the benefit of the doubt. But then I see this game, and I say, like, my God, like, you know, what that, 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 that last half hour after Arsenal's equalizer, that was really poor. And I don't care that, and we'll get to the Montreal handball in a minute. They could have won, they could have won the game. It still would have been a bad performance. And you know what? I, I stuck up for Pep, and I, and I will always stuck up, because if he says... To me, the performance is more important because the result is down to chance and probability to some degree. That's fine. But then if you want to be judged on performance, this was a horrible performance. He made the point after that his team couldn't handle being in the lead 1-0, which is a strange statement. He didn't seem to qualify it, but he seemed to say that they can't handle being ahead, kind of being confident, being comfortable, and then just seeing the game out. Maybe with Sané, Sterling, and Navas on the pitch, he felt he didn't have enough pace. I think to... that's a strange, that's <laughs> it's a strange comment. Strange <laughs> what would you rather be, one nil down? I think he was just saying that perhaps they're not mature. And, and some of the players after said that you won't, have, you won't see the proper Pep team until next season. But that's a mentality, do you not, yeah. do you not believe? And that's yeah. a mentality that's yeah. got to be installed by the manager. I expected United to have more points than they do. And we'll get to United. I think United at times have been unlucky and whatever. I didn't expect Arsenal to be this bad. Um, but it's just, I don't know, it's, it's just disappointing for me to see to see to to go and see a game like this. Uh, and it wasn't the only bad game this weekend uh, by any stretch. I mean, it was interesting how poor the better players were, how poor Ozil was, how poor Sanchez was. And maybe it's different for those two, but they seem to be making the point in the game that they were above the other players in the Arsenal team. But they are, aren't they? Well, they, they might be, but it doesn't give them the right to, 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 to show that because that's affecting the other players, firstly. And secondly, if they are above the players, go out and show you are above the players and, and show them you're better than them. You'll get your summer move anyway. When, when Van Persie was coming towards the end of his contract at Arsenal, or if you look at when Nasri wanted to leave, they didn't give up the ghost and say, OK, well, I'm, I'm not going to play for the club anymore. Well, do you really think it was that bad? Did you, did you, do you, do you really think that they intentionally... Played badly or didn't put in the effort? If you look at Sanchez yesterday, his body language is awful. Absolutely awful. Okay. And I'm not a believer at, in body language at all. I think Binger himself said that uh, yeah, Alexis always uh, looks like always looks uh, like that. I but, asked him that and, and that's what he said. But when you look at it, there was a point in the second half where De Bruyne took the ball off him and, and went down the side. And he just sat on the floor and just and he just and waved his hands around. You can't, you can't do that. You know, it sends the wrong message out to the, to the players, sends the wrong message out to the, to the crowd. Uh, and if you look at Ozil, the amount of poor touches that he had, 
misplaced passes. It's not good for the rest of the team. Now, it's true there's a lot of anxiety in the stadium, which is kind of clearly the players are kind of picking up on. But those two have got to be above it. I mean, at the end, Pep walked on. Uh, Sanchez and, and Pep had a had a hug, and, and but then he walked off straight away. The rest of the team were on the pitch. That doesn't send out the right message to... Yeah, if you I, want to go, go. But you go in the summer, you don't go in April. I think he's also annoyed for... I mean, what I've been told by, by Chilean colleague, I don't know to what degree this is true, but remember when Wenger made reference to Sanchez's stats and then all these clever people went and came up with all that nonsense about how much he runs in games and stuff like that. I mean, would you want to play for a boss who says, yeah, well, you know, you all guys all think Gary Jacob is, re- is great, but, you know... Look at this, you know, here, here's some unedited copy of his and look, you know, and remember the time Gary Jacobs said that, you know, uh, Ross Barkley was definitely joining Spurs and, you, I mean, do you know what I mean? Like Publicly embarrassed. That's not good. Um, Ivan Gazidis, I, you probably have the exact quote, Gary, from him, but what was the, what was the word he, he... He told the supporters before that there'll be change, which is a nice soundbite, but... You think he's talking about solely about Dick Law? I think it's, it's, there was no flesh on the bones, and I think it's a, it's a, it's a soundbite to slightly um, because he's trying and because he's trying to attach himself to the fans. But Ivan is a lawyer, and he he does tend to sit on the fence on on a lot of things, and and ultimately he doesn't really have the power of the club, you know, any real power because the powers with Wenger and the powers with Kroenke. So what he thinks has changed, he's not going to suddenly be able to go to to Arsenal. I'm sorry, I'm going to appoint a, a, a coach alongside you or a director of football that you're going to have to work with because Wenger's always got to say on that. It's a dynamic that doesn't exist at other clubs. One other question which which I really don't know the answer. Um, Wenger said that you know he was closer to a decision but then two weeks ago, didn't he say two weeks ago that he had made his decision? Yeah, but, but he, he, he seems to be saying things just because he's been asked it now and he, he admitted that the other week. He said he's got to give an answer so he just gives an answer wherever it is just to kind of shut everyone up. This is, and you think the the final conclusion will be? I, I think he's staying but I've thought that for ages so it's not... This uh, whole thing is just, is just beyond beyond surreal and, and I feel sorry what, for people who are going through it. What would you do? With Wenger? Ice Cronky, I would keep Wenger 100%. Because I've shown that the people will still show up. I will still make my money. And if I finish six, I've got a huge cash reserve. And Wenger's not going to make me go on a big buying spree in the summer. Even if I lose assets like Ozil and, and Alexis Sanchez, they're, you know, in their late 20s at this stage. Eh, you know, if I keep them, it'll cost me an arm and a leg. And I'll just, you know, keep watching the value of my property. Appreciate, right? Do you, Even, do you think Arsenal will sell in the summer if they don't sign? Sell who? Those Sanchez, two guys? Yeah. I think they'll try, yeah, definitely. And they'll probably have to sell them for a lot less than they're worth because certainly in Sanchez's case, he's got a year left. Um, to an English club? I don't know. I mean, I think it depends what kind of money's on the table. I mean, he's the transfer expert, but the other thing about so Alexis Man- Sanchez... Man- United come in 50 million, one year left on your contract. Well, do you sell to your rivals? But well, they, you buy they, your, they did with Van Persie. Yeah. Yeah, they, you, they, they had no choice. Twenty-four million, they took it and said. But then the, the slight difference was with Van Persie; they knew his whole injury record, and Wenger knew that probably had a year or so left in him, right. so he took that gamble. And and as that played out pretty well with Van Persie by his third year, was was quite average, and he suddenly went off. But these two, perhaps they've got a bit more than a year or two in them. They have got more. I'm, in it, so. I'm also not sure what Sanchez's market is. 
um, no, outside I, outside the Premier League. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I really because of because of the wages that presumably he's going to that he's going to want. There's a very limited pool of clubs that PSG? that he can go to. Well, we we say PSG, right? But PSG, Bayern Munich. Yeah, blah, both blah, the Spanish you know, can, giants. No, yeah, no, no. But sorry, sorry. Excuse me, excuse me. Scoey, Leipzig, Scoey. Germany. They've got money as well. Scoey, Tottenham, Scoey. Liverpool. Scoey. Man, so so Scoey. there's ten clubs. Okay, Scoey, You, you think Real Madrid are gonna are gonna give this guy ten million a year or whatever he wants so he can sit on the bench behind behind that front three? And he will sit on the bench. Maybe not. Maybe he doesn't deserve to. But he's not going to dislodge Bale, Benzema, or uh, or, or Cristiano, right? Um, Barcelona aren't going to go and spend so much money to take him back when he's not going to start for them either. Bayern, yeah, maybe uh, you know on paper because Weberry and Robin aren't getting any younger, but they also have Kingsley Coleman and Douglas Costa to think about. But Gab, what you have to realize the, is you know PSG have Di Maria and and Draxler who's actually playing pretty well. I this idea of just like accumulating accumulating players because they can I don't think his market is that wide open I think there's a big market here because he's shown he can play really well here and he can score a ton of goals here fine but even then there's there's probably going to be a disincentive for for, for Arsenal to, to sell him to an English club and you mentioned Spurs I mean I know Sol Campbell and whatever but I don't think Arsenal would really want to sell him to Spurs nor would Spurs want to push the boat out for him would they? There isn't this glut of of top top players that are available to buy. There, there's maybe a handful at very very best. That's why he'll be sought after. Which clubs would you see in England who would kind of take a punt on him? City have got very young attacking. Yeah, so City don't know. need them. I, I think I, I think he'd be, I think he'd be a very good fit at Chelsea. If I'm United, yeah, and you like keep signing players, but they already have a, a, a ton of attacking players already. They ought to have other priorities, but then again, you don't know how much you know they're going to spend. Actually, I think the biggest you know, Achilles' heel, they can't know, score goals, and this lad in the final third can be devastating on his day. He can't score goals. You have a center forward already who scores a bazillion goals. And then you were telling me Martial was the best player at Manchester United, right? Then you've got Rashford. Then then Mata's going to come back at some point from his injury. And you have Mkhitaryan. And and you really, that's the priority? You're going to go and spend the money? And Half of them aren't good enough. They're, they're but Alexis Sanchez is. Yeah, he is, yeah. He's, he's, he's an upgrade on, on what they've got. Yeah, I, I don't think football... I'm not going to hire you as my director of football. We need to move on to the league leaders, Chelsea. They take an early lead, and then you imagine, oh, look, this is great for, for Chelsea because they're just going, grind it out, blah, blah, blah. But no, Crystal Palace uh, strike twice, Wilfried Zaha and uh, Christian Benteke. And then the rest of the game, Palace kind of get battered, but they defend heroically. Scoey, is this a blip? Is this just something that, that kind of happens, is, or is there a reason for, should Chelsea now be worried? No, it's a blip. These results can happen. You know, we, we do see these uh, quite often in the Premier League. It's a fantastic three points for Crystal Palace. Um, he was at the game, Gab, so you know more than anyone, but I do think they, they rode their luck. But they've they've been improving recently, Palace, and I think that's four straight wins now. Um, be fair to Sam, he has turned a corner with them. I thought Wilfried Zaha had a tremendous game, not just obviously uh, the goal and setting up the other goal, but also once they were in the lead and once they dropped back, he was fantastic at working hard, cueing the counter, making sure that like when he got the ball, he knew when to go and just simply drive. Other times, when to hold it up and, and let his uh, let his teammates come forward, release some of the pressure. Um, Scoey, I'm guessing you're a bigger fan of Zaha than Gareth Southgate is. 
Oh, totally. I've, I've seen Wilfred Zaha now play for probably the last five years. I saw him uh, Palace's last season in the Championship where I thought he was the best best player in the Championship. That's why Manchester United came in for him. Um, Alex Ferguson's last signing. It, it didn't happen at Manchester United for many, many reasons. I think his timing was, was awful going there. David Moyes' first season, probably got a bit homesick, but starting to add goals to his game. You'd have seen him at the weekend very, very skillful on the ball, Gab. You know, he, he can accept the ball with two, three players around him and wiggle his way out of it. And I just think it's a massive loss for England that he's he's not going to play for England. And without doubt, there's a little bit... He's a nice lad. I, I don't know him well, but I've, I've been in his company a couple of times. I don't think he'd, he would get into a, an argument with someone. But there's obviously something between him and Gareth Southgate and maybe the way he was treated in the under-21s where he's gone, I'm not going to play for England. Steve Parrish made the point last week that the FA didn't do enough over time. Yeah. Does that happen? How does that work? Do coaches get into you at a young age? or I mean, Because he did play for England at a young age and obviously then he's decided. And, and if you, when you speak to his agent, his agent said, no, he was born in Ivory Coast, he wants to play for Ivory Coast. But, but clearly, if that was true, he would have played at Ivory Coast at a younger age. But he made a decision later on. Where is it that process with the coaches and the FA? Where were they perhaps kind of deficient? He went off the radar for a little bit, didn't he? And sometimes you get young players that come and don't quite fulfil their potential. But I just think it's it's short-sighted. I, I don't buy into that he sees himself. I, I think, look, it's, it's his place for his birth and he, he's very comfortable there. But he's been in England since he was a, a very young child. I think he was quoted at the weekend that, you know, does see himself as English as well. But I just think England had to do a lot, lot more. Victor Moses is another one that... Mm you know, slip through the net, who's having a fantastic season at Chelsea now, and maybe the finger should be pointed at Mr Southgate. Are you pointing the finger at Mr Southgate? I'd like to know why he he wasn't made to be more, I don't know, welcome the right word, more more at home being... Because, you know, we look at it, England have got an abundance of, of players in certain areas. He's kind of player England don't have a, a glut of, do they? And, and he's a, he's a match winner. And I've seen him now and think he's had a, a great season. Also, you have to, to take into account that up until recently, he's played in a, a struggling, poor Crystal Palace side where, you know, if you saw him in maybe a Tottenham with Ericsson and Harry Kane and, and Deli Ali, good players around him, I think he'd be even better. It's remarkable what Allardyce is doing. They brought in Sacco, who's been... Well, I want to talk about this, OK? Because for people who lost track of him and who think he disappeared, Mamadou Sacco tested positive for a banned substance and initially he was banned and then they appealed. I really don't want to get into the whole pharmacological minutiae of this, but there's a tremendous story. I think it's on Vice Sports, which kind of goes through in extreme detail about what exactly tested positive for, the different scientific evidence that came up. And you realize really just how incredibly unlucky this guy was because as a result of that, obviously he missed the Europa League final. Um, he probably would have gone to the Euros. Um, can't necessarily blame that for his falling out with Klopp and not playing football for six months. But maybe all these things are related. You know, may maybe things would have been different. Put it this way. Maybe if he had played in the Europa League final and if he'd gone to the Euros and if he'd played, maybe France would be European champions right now. And maybe after falling out with Klopp, Liverpool could have sold him somewhere else in the summer. All these things coming together. It's just a remarkable situation. It's remarkable the the fact that he sort of not, didn't play for six months and, and came against Middlesbrough a few weeks ago and was, was fit and played so well and organised. and did, He did the simple things, which, which they didn't have, and he had the confidence at the back, and that kind of, you could see that filtering through the rest of the team. And, and also he brought the ball out, which they didn't have before. But, 
I mean, he certainly put himself in, in, in a different market this summer now for a different club. How easy is it, James, when, you know, when you're out for that long just to come back in and play? It's very, very, very difficult because, you know, you, you need that game momentum you need that rhythm and you it's all about playing games you can train as long as you want but it's the match fitness that's going to to get you to the peak and to be fair he's come in and and sort of grabbed the team really grabbed his his opportunity by the scruff of the neck and uh, been very influential for for Crystal Palace does, does it also beg the question about why Klopp couldn't perhaps look over his faults or or at least smooth his faults because I mean all all players have got faults in some way I say more do we know I mean other than uh you know, he, he missed a team meeting. There must, there must have been something else, right? I mean, maybe, but it seems that he's gone there with a point to prove. And sometimes players need that little kick up the backside that they're they're drifting along, they're they're picking the money up, and all of a sudden you're out and you're thinking, right, reality now. I've got to prove these people wrong. And I, and I think he's I think he's doing that. And I think he also found the right guy for it in yeah. uh, in Allardyce R- as right, well. Right manager, right club, everything fits. <laughs> Moving on to the Merseyside derby. Now, I thought Coutinho and Firmino were going to be a little bit out of it following their, their games with Brazil and whatnot. Um, I said I thought all of Liverpool's attack, Mane, whatever, I thought they all looked really good and it all clicked together extremely well. I think is a fantastic player and I think when he plays well, Liverpool play well, I think he's such a, a key key player for them. It's a massive result for Liverpool. Not only that, they had the performance to to go with it as well. I thought they were they were better than Everton. No, on the no back. Henderson, no Lallana. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think mean, obviously it was, Everton had a ton of guys out too before Toffee's game. Well, it, everyone was building Everton up, weren't they, and saying the gap was closer and the two teams are almost on a an, an even keel now. But it wasn't like that. Liverpool's quality shone through, especially in the final third. Puma was saying that there was that his players got a bit of an inferiority complex going there. Can can you have that as a player? I can think you? so. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. can actually go to grounds and 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 think you're not going to win. Just lack of belief, isn't it? And I think that's you need. If you go back to Crystal Palace, they've now got they're they're running wherever they go. They've they've gone to the hardest place this season and picked up three points. So they've got that confidence. They've got that mindset that they can do it. I'm not quite sure that Everton um, have got that yet. That they believe that people say, "Well, they can break into the top four. I personally think they're miles away from the top four, and I think that's in a lot of areas but it's a mindset it's a belief as well it's interesting that Everton sort of were poor the other week against Tottenham and poor on Saturday mm. and so if they are if they have supposedly closed the gap they've not quite done it against those it's two also teams because everybody's yeah, injured and, right yeah and the, the problem for Everton there's still it's still a big game wherever those teams are in the league it's still a big game and that that's you know, I think uh, maybe the Everton fans had that little bit of expectation that it's been 19 years this has been too long we've got a decent team we've got some good players now Liverpool can be hit and miss as well um, and they're going to have to wait till next season now to see if they can bridge that gap Alright we're, we're used to a lot of tough tackling and stuff like that it's almost all, it's become lion eye so it becomes like a you know going back to the, the, the Peter Reid McMahon thing but I thought the Barkley tackled on, on Lovren was just really nasty and it's got nothing to do with like being tough and committed Um is there a point when Barkley should kind of, leaving aside the duty of care to other fellow professionals, kind of realize I, I can either be a hatchet man or I can be a skill player. And sooner or later, if I keep doing this, I'm going to get myself suspended or worse, the other team's goon is going to go and do me because th- this doesn't help. I mean, why do you want your most talented player arguably to go and do stuff like this? 
No, but do you not think the player's got that aggression that you need to keep in his game? You know, Rooney had it for years, didn't he, when, when he was coming yeah, through? Yeah, Glenn Hoddle didn't. He was a pretty good footballer. No, I don't remember him doing it. I mean, I, well, maybe I Glenn saying, Hoddle but, but, did but, have that. But Barkley has to decide, I think, at some point, what kind of player what kind of player he wants. This is not the first time that, that he's done stuff like this. You talked, you know, before we talked about off, off air, about young players taught to be super technical and whatever else. I, I don't, you know, I, I Graham Sooners could pull it off, right? Being a thug and a genius at the same time, but I don't know it's a good pathway for for a professional Gerard. footballer. Does, is that what Barkley wants to be? Is no, that or, or you, is he? Look, I, you're judging these kids. These kids come off the the streets of these cities of of Liverpool, Manchester. They're the tough. You told kids. us off air that actually that the kids don't come off the street, but that they're coddled in academies the whole time. Well, they might go into an academy at an early age, but they still come off the streets, aren't they? There's still there's nothing wrong with that, but they're the streetwise footballers. You know, they, they come from environments where, you know, they're, they're tough backgrounds. Winning, you've got that winning mentality. You're expected to do this. So the, if you look at his tackle, is it just mistimed a little bit? Do you think you can never take that out of his game? And, and if you do, do you think the other part of his game suffers? Yeah, 100%. I don't see that at all. How I, The other part of his game, the one where he has vision and the ones where he's got long-range finishing... Uh, so and the one where he's what, fast what, and strong, what, no. So if you was coaching him, you'd say, you've got to stop working hard and chasing the ball back. And if it's there to be won, don't win it. Just just hold back. No, learn how to win it without hurting an opponent, getting you yourself sent off. There's, Gab, there's no player in the world that has got a 100% perfect timing rate in a tackle, especially yeah, a hard I don't hard demand hard. 100% a timing rate. Uh, what I would. Well, well, you're going to miss tackles then. Aren't you? You're going no. to be. In this day and age, I think every single okay. player is under pressure. Sure. That, you know what? You know what? what? What position does. does Barkley plays. Is he an attacking midfielder? Yes. Yeah. Is is Eden Hazard an attacking midfielder? Does Eden Hazard go around doing it's that? Totally. What I'm saying. No, 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 no. But this is my point. What well, my point is, he can be that kind of player. He can aspire to be that kind of player, or he can be the kind of player who goes and does things like that. Personally, I think it's a lot easier to go and find another goon to go and, and be hard and committed. I mean, at some point, if you're going to be the most talented player on your team, you have to ensure that you stay on the pitch. This is what this is what gets me about him. I I, I don't I, I don't think I mean I don't have him on my team because he's he's strong and committed. We're in England. I can I can have fifty Damian Delaney's on my team who are going to be totally honest and do that. But Damian Delaney can do that part of the game. He can't do the other part of the game that Barkley does. No, oh, sorry, I'm just mentioning Damian Delaney because I saw him at the weekend. <laughs> but no, but, but but that's what I mean. But Ofe, you mentioned Deli Ali. Very similar thing. Well, that's why I was curious about it. Why, why these two very talented English attacking midfielders, roughly the same age, but, are both prone to that. But, if you go but back, I think in some ways Barkley's worse than Ali. But if you go back, Burkamp had a bit of a, uh, a nasty side in the yeah, so times, did didn't he? So, yeah, and so did Vieira. So did, so did a lot of... Well, for sure, Patrick Vieira, different sort of player. Different, but, yeah. but, but, but Burkamp had that time. And maybe he needed it. Maybe. I think if you look at a lot of the I top players, if, Lewis, you know... Gary's spot on the Louis Suarez of the world. They've all got that desire, and and that's what's got oh them onto that football oh pitch. God. No, no, this is so wrong. And then you wonder why you're still in the. the, the, the talk. You you mistake one thing for another. You you. I'm sorry. No, but you, you're, you're really comparative do. to your background, your upper class, so, no, no, privately no, educated do, kind of. Nothing to do with it, any of that. I'm sorry. But, was Frank Lampard a thug on the pitch? Or are you gonna bring up his background too? <laughs> No, I'm serious. Yeah, but, but, Do you remember Ryan Giggs making a lot of a lot of tackles like that, or indeed David Beckham? 
Do you want me to keep going? Do you see Lionel Messi doing this? Do you see Cristiano Ronaldo doing this? Oh, David Beckham did. Oh, yes. David Beckham had... Ross Barkley had more incidents like that in this Liverpool, this Merseyside derby than Beckham had in his entire career. Skulls did as well. He had a nasty side. You're talking about a young lad. But But I don't don't think... And I don't think it helped him. I, I don't think that's what made Paul Skulls good. I mean, I think that's something that, that he probably fought against. Gab, you have to take the into content. You're talking about a lad who's grown up in Merseyside, knows the importance of such this big figure, uh, this massive, massive game he's playing in, how important it is to the fans, and you're telling him, oh, you shouldn't tackle. No, I'm not telling him you shouldn't tackle. I'm really not telling him that. And I'm not just referring to this game. I'm, what, I'm ta- what, I'm, what I'm saying is, ask yourself where you want to be going with your career. Because if you keep doing this... Given the position that you play in, you will get suspended and you will become a target for, for the next Lee Cattermole out there. And that's simply going to hurt you. I mean, I, I think that's I, the reality think, of it. I don't I mean, think I, there's many top managers that say, oh, he's a little bit too aggressive, so I'm not going to sign him. Gary, can you help me on this? Or, or, or do, do you think that, that it's necessary to go and do that? If, if, if he was here, I are you giving him advice? I think it, it's very hard to take that out of his game. I think if you if you want the other part of his game, you're going to have to leave a little bit of aggression in the other part, and and sometimes it's going to go over. And and to me, he's different to someone like Jacques who just cannot tackle. You know, Barkley's quite aggressive. Jacques is just 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 a very poor tackler. But when when Barkley does it, it's perhaps done with a little bit of perhaps a little bit of malice, malice and he gets a bit overboard in in you know in other parts of his game what he's doing. But yeah. You know, the other week, when 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 Ali got sent off against Ghent, Pochettino didn't didn't have a go at him. He he, he said it wasn't the time. He didn't put his hand round him, and Pochettino was the type of of player himself who was quite nasty and, and and could put his put the foot in as well. And I think he just sort of sees that as part of his part of his game and, and accept that for the other parts of his game. Right, you should point out Pochettino wasn't a talented number ten either, like Ali or. True. True. I mean, you know, I but, I, I, I think that's I think, the... but, but I think what his point is, what his point is that sometimes you know you have to accept some parts of a player's game if you want the other parts. I just don't see what the relationship is between. Remember Dele Alli last year against Fiorentina, where he had that psychopathic yeah. Yeah. tackle. Yeah. I don't understand how that is a natural outgrowth of of aggression and all the positives that you want to see. To me, that is simply psychopathic. And when you see tackles like that, and by the way, as far as Zidane and Burkamp are concerned, um, those guys often lost it when they were reacting to other people, when they were reacting to fouls and stuff like that. Burkamp could be could make some two footed tackles as well. He wasn't he wasn't a total Satan on the pitch. I'm, I'm not suggesting he was, but I don't know. It just seems to me like there are ways that at some point, you know, Barkley can shape his own future and he can kind of decide what he wants to be. There aren't you name me a top attacking player who who really is an elite player and then Barkley can, can hope to get that who who has the kind of record and who and who commits those kinds of fouls and then who is an attacking midfielder. You mentioned Luis Suarez. Luis Suarez, by the way, other than, than, than the biting and the crazy reactions and stuff like that, he does not go and, and, and tackle like that on a regular basis. There's a wonderful piece in uh, in the game about a very touching uh, documentary. I might have seen it. It's uh, David Rocastle and Ian Wright story. And we've got with us Amit Katwala. And you've written about this. I knew the story 
a little bit. I knew I knew the backgrounds, but why do you think the story resonates? Is it obviously Rogastle's untimely death, his injuries, or or simply the fact that it's not often you've got two footballers who can trace two two guys who make it to the top who can trace their relationship back to when they were kids? Yeah, I think one of the things that really interested me was the fact that they both took completely different paths to ending up at Arsenal and um, Rowcastle obviously went through the academy route you know he signed when he was 15 for Arsenal's academy uh, whereas Ian Wright didn't get a professional contract until he was 21 but they both still you know from playing together in South London and on Oak Park they both ended up reaching the top with Arsenal and playing together for that one season. Um, James when did you join the academy? Um, it was Centre of Excellence and Gab um, it would have been 12 but you started it was that probably long ago 14. before the white paper yeah. I think I was 14 when you went into to full time so I did get I was having this conversation with someone the other day a lot of the young players don't play grassroots football anymore don't play in cup finals don't play in leagues um, where I did have that experience for four or five years and it's probably similar to uh, Ian Wright and uh, David Rokar well, probably not to Ian Wright yeah, it's right. just sort of the point but I, I wanted to ask you what just, just to, to bring it back to them. So obviously you had these kids that they were playing in in, in, in Broccoli. Um, they both lived on the same, was it the Turnham estate? That's right, yeah. Did you play with kids before you joined? Did you have friends who, who you played with? And was there an obvious disparity or was there like another guy you played with who you said like, you know what, this guy could be going to the center of excellence too. But then for whatever reason, it didn't happen. Yeah, of course. There's uh, There's always an element of luck. That, that's involved and maybe been in the right place at the right time. Um, there was a, a scouting network back then in, in the late 80s that's, you know, now there'd be, there's scouts everywhere now. I don't think a player would be missed in, in this day and age, but, you know, back then players did get missed, yeah. Is that your sense that Ian Wright would be? Yeah. Would, I, there would be no Ian Wright today. Really weird. One of, uh, Steve Koppel gets interviewed in the, in the documentary and he was saying, you know, they, they were watching this this guy at 21 banging in all these goals, and they're like, "What's what's wrong with him? Why hasn't why hasn't someone signed him yet?" And they couldn't figure it out. And I don't think Ian Wright really knows either. I think maybe he was quite small back then. He wasn't quite, you know, uh, you know, didn't fit into the mould. But but it is a, it is a curious thing that that it took him so long to get signed because he was can be late developers though. Mm-hmm. Not, not everybody stands out at 13, 14. Sometimes it can, yeah. you know, people mature at different ages. You know, th- th- there's some young players that mature at 15 there's some that mature at 22 23 so it can be you know that that gap is 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 huge at times i think uh from what the some of the they interviewed some of the their childhood friends and they were saying that wright seems to be the one that was nailed on to make it and i think when wright was three and a half years older than Rowcastle, so when Rowcastle made it into the academy system before Wright, i think everyone was quite surprised they kind of thought well they'll both make it or if one of them's going to make it it's going to be in Wright. one of the things i think Ian Wright has alluded to this was that he he was considered a little bit of a street footballer in those days. And from what I remember of English football back then, there really wasn't too much room for for that sort of player. It was kind of on the cusp of changing, wasn't it? When, when you know, this is late 80s, early 90s. So I guess um, Ian Wright maybe didn't have the, the traditional attributes that you'd, you'd want. But, but he, clearly, he clearly was obviously a very good footballer and an incredibly talented finisher. So. The other thing which stood out for me was, which I did not know, was that if David Rocastle comes in, is great athlete, gifted footballer, but they noticed that he always just kind of runs around with his with his head down. And he said, like, why don't you look up and see the goal? And then they find out that he's got serious vision problems. He wore contacts in games, and he, he had a certain style and the way he ran and the way he kind of 
But I don't. What I don't. They, what, what I don't understand is if the guy couldn't see, how did he go to go through school and stuff? The NHS, like everybody has their eyesight tested as kids, right? Yeah, it's the 80s, isn't it? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know how you. Uh, I mean, it's 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 South London in the 1980s. Maybe the maybe the. Uh, maybe just 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 not to yeah. wear glasses. Just ignored it. Yeah. But, you know, I don't want to go down that road. And obviously, Will Castle, the the story ends very sadly, uh, first footballing wise, because he has this knee injury. Where, and again, I, you wonder about medicine back then as well, because Arsenal come to the conclusion that oh look, he can only play once a week. Now, I'm not a doctor; I haven't traveled back through time. In any case, even if I were a doctor to examine David Rocastle back then, but it seems odd to me that somebody was he 25 at the time. Uh, when or he left Arsenal, 24, 25, 20, yeah. yeah. That at that age, you could come to a medical conclusion that you're incapable of playing twice a week. Mm-hmm. I, I don't understand what kind of 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 medical or, or of actual, because it was a result of trauma, wasn't it? What kind of condition would, would be like that? Yeah, I think partly it's probably, you know, maybe if we manage him really carefully, we could maybe get some more, more out of him. But his performances, I think, had started to, to tail off a little bit because of the injury, and, and maybe they just felt at the time that it wasn't. And I don't think it was a decision that they made easily, I think, from, from what comes across in the documentary. It's, it's, they were very sad about having to, to sell him. And I think a lot of the fans and a lot of the players were sort of, you know, Ian Wright describes basically being in tears when he found out that Roe Castle was going to be leaving because they only actually had one season together. And at the end of that, Roe Castle was sold. So I think it must have been a very difficult decision, but you can kind of understand why they made that decision, I think. Good. Did that make sense to you at the time? And, and did it make sense for Leeds to buy a guy who so had... It's also a different era, isn't it, Gabs? And it wasn't so long ago that Sandro had that, the injury at Tottenham and was never the same player. You, I mean, there are players who can't play more than once a week and someone takes a decision on them. George was a certain type of manager as well at that point. George Graham. We need to have a villain of the piece here, right? That's where you're going with this? Well, you know, he's a certain type of kind of ruthless manager. Things, things needed to be changed at that sort of era as well, at that period. You know, they won the title in 89-91. Things were slightly changing at the club. And then, of course, his his passing at the untimely age of, of, of 33. That's right, yeah. I think one of the things that shocked me is that he would he would have turned 50 in May. He was so young. It was It's really, really tragic. And I think um, it's one of those things that it, it kind of touched all football fans, I think. You know, obviously, it was his uh, 16-year anniversary of his passing uh, on Saturday, on Friday, sorry, and... Uh, it's one of those things that I think is still very emotional, still very raw, uh, and that really comes across in the documentary as well. It is remarkable how uh, David Rocastle ended up, I think everybody's, in some way, who followed England, uh, English football in that period, was was touched in uh, in, in some way, and in, in some level. Uh, Amit Kawala, thank you so much for joining us. Time for some quick hits. Tottenham went away to Burnley, where every other visitor since November has been defeated, at least in the Premier League. Of course, Mighty Lincoln beat them in the uh, FA Cup, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Gary, there's no cane for the foreseeable future, but there's enough firepower there to take Chelsea down to the wire, right? Yeah, I think I think probably I flip it on its side, uh, on the other side, and say that um, they're strong at the back. They don't concede many goals, and, and, and that gives them the confidence to perhaps go and nick the games. When Kane was out in autumn, they didn't have um, out of our old. That made a difference. Now he's there. They're strong at the back. They've dealt with uh, without without Rose, and um, I don't think they're going to catch Chelsea. But they've got enough firepower to finish second. They can light a bit of a fire under their under their rear ends. It's now five wins out of five for Craig Shakespeare as Leicester overcomes Stoke two 0 Scoey, Shaky looks unstoppable. I know you're a massive fan. Uh, what's his secret? 
I think he's gone back to basics, hasn't he? He's made everything simple. He's got key players like Jamie Vardy uh, firing again. In Diddy in midfield is a is a star. Watch out for him. I'm familiar with him. In fact, my mate Colin Udo, who happens to be Nigerian, said Ndidi will become twice the player that N'Golo Kante was. And uh, not quite there yet, but uh, no, certainly he's, he's, certainly looks looks very special. Isn't it funny, by the way, how uh, sometimes you win by keeping things simple and sometimes you win by being sophisticated and creative and interesting? Hull City upend West Ham uh, United 2-1 to keep hope alive as Slavin Bilic gets a vote of confidence from the two Davids who own his club. Gary, do you want to praise Hull or perhaps tell us why Golden Sullivan felt the need to go out there and do the vote of confidence thing? Ramping up the pressure a bit on Bilic, really. Because well, that, that's helpful. Why? It's going to help him better finish mid-table? Uh, I think they're just, just reminding him that he's kind of um, needs to do better and, and just put a little bit of pressure on him. They made a statement a few weeks back out of nowhere after the Bournemouth game, apologising to the fans. Are the pornographers hoping that secretly that he's just going to resign? And then they don't have to pay him off. I don't think Slav is that type of uh, guy, yeah. given, given that he's a, a, a lawyer and trained and, and pretty. Uh, and he probably hands around with a certain type of crew as well, which I, I suspect is a little bit different to what Zola did and uh, Avram Grant did when they, when they were there. Manchester United are held at home by West Brom, and then it's another two points drop for Jose Mourinho. Uh, Scoey, they had tons of absentees. Is that enough for you to give them a pass? Or actually, in fact, rather than talking about this game because it's Groundhog Day... Shall we talk about another Groundhog Day theme with Jose, which is it's an absolute takedown of poor Luke Shaw. Yeah, I'm not quite sure what Luke Shaw's done to uh, upset Mr. Mourinho. Read between the lines, I think he wants a new left-back in, and um, Luke Shaw's from the old regime, really, so I think maybe he's putting him down in the media to try and sort of prove his point, which is a little bit naughty. Uh, Manchester United have only won six out of 15 games at home. They've only scored 20 goals at home. Whole City have scored more goals at home than Manchester United. Just a quick aside on that, Gary. If you, since you're a transfer guy, if you want to sell a player, right, is it normally a good idea <laughs> to go and like talk about how lazy he is and stuff? I can appreciate you don't have to pay him, but, you know, come on, give it the, oh, Luke's working really hard, it's unlucky he didn't get in the team, blah, 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 right? You would think so. You'll have a great season next year, and then you go and secretly sell them, right? Yeah, That's how you do it. Word gets around football anyway, so it's kind of what you say publicly slightly irrelevant anyway, because you do your homework in other ways. So it also do you makes see- him determined to leave as well, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. His injuries change him in a few ways. He changed his body shape. If you look at him now, I know he spent the best part of the year in a gym, but he's he's physically big. It doesn't look as quick as what he was now. He hasn't played a lot of football, and I'm sure he can get a lot of that back. But he has changed his injury, and it was a horrible injury for him, has changed him. I know some people don't appreciate the business model, what Watford do, but they're up to 12th, and they actually have as many points as a team in 10th, Southampton. Because they're going to stay up, right? Whatever they're doing, even with all the weirdness and the foibles and Mazzari, it's it's kind of working, no? Watford get you really excited, don't they? Well, just when, I, when I've seen them, they just look a pretty average team. But yeah, every now and again, they pick up a result to, to manage to kind of go back into mid-table. They've got a couple of good players. Obviously, Dini. Um, Kapue. Nyang. Do you think it's enough for the owners? I don't think they're wild about his football. This is my guess. I don't think they're wild about his football. I, I would have expected would have taken it to another level. Everything you hear that comes out via the players is that they're not that enamoured by the training and what goes on there. But yet... You know, by all accounts, the owner went in and said it's told the players straight that you know he's staying. That was a few months ago, but whether whether that's different now, whether it's different at the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, it's all about that 150 million pound TV money, isn't it? That's 
Guaranteed. Yeah, you know, Flores did an okay job, didn't he? And then, I, my understanding of the Flores thing was that, and I think this may come back to haunt Mazzari as well, is that their business model is predicated upon spotting talent in places where nobody looks, playing that talent, and then selling that talent for a lot of money, allowing them to bring in more talent. Um, Udinese and is not a self-sustaining. You know, it's just a town of 100,000 people, right? This is something they've done for many years and they've done exceedingly well. With Flores, Kike was bringing in veteran players and he was only playing these older 30-year-old guys. Um, I think you see a lot of that with Mazzari. I think what they would like to see, and purely speculating here, is that at this stage of the season, you know, you're safe. Let's give Isaac success a run. Let's give some of our younger players a run so that we can find out if they can play and maybe they'll develop. You know, I'm not, I won't be selling Miguel Britos for 20 million, but, you know, I might sell Isaac Success for 20 million one day if he gets on the pitch regularly and, and he plays regularly. Middlesbrough draw away to Swansea, a result that doesn't really help either club, but um, Rudy Gestead misses a last minute header that would have given Burrow all three points. Scoey, feel free to critique his technique and then tell me whether that was the moment that sealed their fate. It would have been a massive three points for them. Um, Did he hit it wrong? What happened? No, I'll tell, tell you us the header of the so ball. So Negredo puts a fantastic ball in with the. It was outside. too good, right? The no, ball. Listen, listen to me. Negredo puts a fantastic ball in with the outside of his foot. This is what happens. He puts so much spin on the ball with that technique of the outside of his part. As he heads it, it's very, very high. If you ever play tennis or you play any game yes. where so it spins. It's difficult to get it's clean very, contact. Yeah, exactly, and that's what happened. That's why he misses it. It is very hard to head the ball back from where it come from, is which you should do with that much spin on it. Well, because you're judging the spin. I also think he was surprised that Negredo delivered there. a ball like that because it's not... I mean, Negredo's a great player, but that's not really what you associate with him. Had it been David Silva, fine, but... Probably slightly surprised to see a ball in the penalty area if you're... If you're, <laughs> you're like, what's to this? To be fair <laughs> to Rudy Cassette, Rudy Cassette is a very, very good header of the ball. Very good in the air. If you look at here, a lot of his goals, Blackburn, yeah, no, no ability, it takes the ball very well. Finally, Gab, one for you. Big game in Serie A, Napoli hosting Juventus. Is the title race back on? Well, this game ended in a draw with Roma winning. It means the gap is six points and Juventus uh, have to play away at Roma on May 14th. I think if Juventus somehow knocked Barcelona out and advanced in the Champions League, I think we could have a title race on our hands. Because obviously the priority is the Champions League and not say the yeah. I mean, other things obviously have to go their way, but Napoli played exceedingly well. They gave up a, 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 an early goal to, to Sammy Kadira, um, but really that was Juve's only shot on target. Juve actually went out there with uh, a very different lineup and a diff- very different approach from what we've seen of late, a lot more uh, conservative. And, uh, and Napoli had the bulk of the ball. They created the bulk of the chances the rest of the game. Um, equalized great goal from Marek Hamsik. And by the way, the, uh, the the whole story of Gonzalo Higuain's return, in the end, that part was kind of a damp squid because he was so isolated on his own. Um, and a stat I saw, he didn't have a single touch in the penalty area. He's not still on that same diet as you, is he, Higuain? Or is he slimmed down? It was really funny. If you were real, th- I'm not saying you're unfit. If you were real thin, I could understand you making those jokes, Koei. <laughs> Right, that's all we've got time for today. Many, many thanks to my guests today, Ami Katwala, Gary Jacob, and James Scowcroft. It's just £12 for a 12-week trial if you want to subscribe. Just search The Times online. Uh, Also, press that subscribe button on wherever you choose to download your podcast. And if you're going to leave a nice review, 
uh, on iTunes, please feel free to do so. Of course, that's if you're listening on an Apple device. The game podcast will be back next week, uh, but I won't. I will leave you in the capable hands of Max. No, psych. I'll leave you in the capable hands of Allison Rudd this time. But of course, Max Rushton's hands, oh, let me tell you, are extremely capable as well. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk.